we tend to take scripture seriously, which is appropriate, but that means that sometimes we miss certain stories and parables of Jesus that are actually meant to be a little bit funny. And we have one of those today. Jesus tells the story of a widow we're supposed to imagine as a kind of broad comic character. She's perfect. She's poor but proud. You can picture the black lace mantilla, the single tear, vulnerable, righteous, with a just cause. And then the judge, the comic villain, so terrible that it's almost funny. Jesus tells us at the start that this judge doesn't fear God or respect people. He recognizes no authority higher than himself and feels no obligation to do anything that doesn't benefit him directly. The widow has been taken advantage of in some way, which would have been a common thing for a widow at the time. So she keeps coming to the unjust judge, asking him for justice, day after day, bothering him, inconveniencing him, perhaps even embarrassing him. And finally, the unjust judge says, even though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. Actual Greek is a little bit more direct. It's something like, so that she might not slap me in the face or so that she might not give me a black eye. And then Jesus uses a common form of argument in the ancient Near East. He says, if even an unjust judge would do the right thing for a perfect widow, if she persisted in asking, how much more would our God, the merciful and loving judge, do the right thing for us if we kept asking? It's a common Semitic form of argument in the ancient world. How much more? We use it ourselves all the time. She almost had a heart attack watching the Beyonce concert on TV. How much more excited is she going to be to see her in person? (laughs) It took me weeks to get him to agree to go to the art exhibit with me. How much more difficult is it going to be to get him to go to the lecture at the library? We use this all the time. And so Jesus is using this form of argument. If even a terrible judge would give in to persistent asking, how much more would a loving God grant the prayers of the faithful? In other words, pray and do not lose heart. Jesus makes the same point in the same way earlier in Luke. How many of you, when one of your children asks you for something to eat, would give your child a rock instead of a piece of bread? None of you. You love their children, and if there's your children... And if there's food to eat, you give it to them. How much more would a loving and gracious God grant the requests of God's children? So Jesus says, pray always and do not lose heart. This model of prayer that Jesus invites us into sounds simple. Pray persistently and God will not delay long in answering your prayers. But it's not that simple, is it? Prayer, particularly what the church calls intercessory prayer, 
the act of asking God for specific things raises quite a few questions for us. If God is all-seeing, all-knowing, all-powerful, if God is the perfect judge who sees every situation and assesses it perfectly, then what's the point of praying? Isn't God going to do the right thing no matter what I say? And in the first place, doesn't God already know what I want or need? Why do I need to go to the trouble of telling God what God already knows? Are we trying to change God's mind? That doesn't seem to make very much sense. Shouldn't God do the right thing without our asking? And what do we make of this promise that all of our prayers will be answered, all of our wishes will be granted? I'd imagine that many of us, perhaps all of us, have had the experience of praying long and hard for something only to feel that God has not responded. These questions are real and difficult, and I could give long theological answers, but to be honest, none of those convince me of much, really. What it comes down to for me is mystery. Prayer is a relationship of intimacy between human beings and God. And somehow, mysteriously, it does something. When we pray, particularly when we pray fervently, regularly, persistently, something in the world shifts. In us, in God, in the universe around us, something changes. There's nothing simple or automatic in prayer. There's no sense that I can pray for something and God will dispense it like a cosmic vending machine. But something happens. Something changes. I don't quite understand it, but I'm thankful for it. But I think it has something to do with how God chooses to engage with us, with human beings and with the wider world. God, who is infinite and ineffable, could relate to us however he or she wished. God could encounter us as an overwhelming impersonal force or as a tyrant eager to bend us to his will. But God doesn't. For God's own mysterious reasons, God has chosen to be known in the person of Jesus. God chose to be known to us as a person, not as a human being, but as a person with a personality that chooses to engage with us through relationship, personally rather than impersonally, through invitation rather than force. That is a profound mystery and it is also a gift. And prayer is the language of that relationship, the relationship between God and human beings. We think about our relationship with our closest friends. I think about my relationship with my best friend. When we, we spend time together, I don't really tell her much that she doesn't know already about me, about my job, about my family, but telling her about my life and being heard, even if I don't convey anything new, deepens our relationship. Asking for her help, even though I know she would give it, even if I didn't ask, cements our connection. And there are situations in which she might not agree with what I suggest, but our conversation still makes our bond stronger, and I come away with more clarity about who I am, what I think and feel To take a page out of Jesus' way of arguing, if that's true of our human friendships, how much more 
must it be true of our relationship with God? When we're honest with God about what we want and what we need, when we spend unhurried time with God, talking and listening, just as those acts deepen our relationships with our friends, so they also deepen our relationship with God, whether or not God answers our prayer in a form that we can recognize. As our relationship with God grows deeper, subtle shifts happen deep within us. And maybe, somehow, the world around us changes too. Prayer isn't magic, but it matters. It counts. It changes the world. And it changes us. The great theologian Martin Luther used to say, I have so much to do today that I have to spend the first three hours in prayer. Can't say I've ever said that. But he is onto something. We, have, we put prayer in this category of non-productive activity. Thing, an activity that doesn't move us or our lives forward. But what if we imitated him in realizing that prayer is something that enables us to do what we need to do over the course of a day. Something that enables us to fulfill our responsibilities that gets us through the hardest days. Because whether we feel it or not, Prayer transforms us. And that belief is a risk. It can be hard to have faith when we feel like the widow bothering the judge for years on end. But even the act of coming to God again and again with those prayers that feel unanswered is a transformative act of faith. Because we're not coming before an unjust judge with no respect for God or people. We are coming before one who loves us and chooses to meet us in prayer. One who receives what we have to say graciously with love and approval, viewing our requests as part of an ongoing conversation. An ongoing conversation with potential to change us and the world. Amen.